let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we come and thank you for your grace and mercy given to us each day. Father, thank you that your mercies are new. They're renewed every morning. And your faithfulness towards us is great. Father, we praise you for your word and for its complete reliability. We thank you that you have exalted above all things both your name and your word. And dear God, as we look at your word today, please help me, please help each of us to hear what your Holy Spirit says to the church today. Please uh, give me grace to be sensitive and submitted to uh, your spirit and the scripture and to speak the truth in a loving way and by it would you sanctify us and may we leave this place more like Jesus than when we came. You're the only one who can bring this about for the glory and praise of your name. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're continuing our series on victorious living. And at one point in this series, we spoke about uh, radical love, and love is to be prioritized, and that's why we look at it again from a different perspective, um, but we want to see it again and uh, reflect on it a little bit more deeply. Love is one of those qualities that you just can't uh, say enough about, and um, so it's uh, worthy of being spoken of again. Uh, please turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. I want to talk to you about the priority of love and look at three uh, particular subjects. Our daily priority is love, our daily pattern is love, and our daily purpose is love. 1 John chapter 4, and I'll begin reading at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John, uh, the apostle, uh, wrote this uh, particular epistle, as you know, for several reasons, as he mentions throughout the course of this letter. He wrote it so that we might have fellowship with him, that we might be strong and overcome uh, the evil one. He wrote it that we might know that we have eternal life. And he also wrote it to assure believers of their salvation when they trust in Jesus Christ. Um, this, this passage begins uh, by reminding us 
uh, in this priority that we have to love one another, it begins by reminding us that we are loved. The passage begins with beloved. You are people who have been loved by God. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You know, when I was a young boy, I um, lived with my parents, like many young boys do. Um, And uh, sometimes the phone would ring, and I would answer it, and my, um, the person on the other line would say, uh, can I speak with your wife? And I would say, not right now. <laughs> and, um, well, they say, well, do you know when she'll be home? Not really. <laughs> and then um, they would think for a moment, and they would say, is this Brian? I say, yes. I say, put your mother on the phone, boy. Uh, because if you've ever met my father, I talk exactly like my father. I sound exactly like him. I actually walk like him, too. Um, Well, maybe he walks different now. He's in heaven. But but when he was on earth, we used to walk alike, and we used to talk alike, and we had a lot of similar thoughts. And sometimes that brought some clashes, as it sometimes does. But uh, there was a great similarity, and it was uh, rooted in, in DNA, and rooted in being around one another, and growing up under him, and learning from him. And uh, that's what you have in this verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. That when we have been born again uh, by the Spirit of God, into the family of God, we start to resemble God in the way we interact with each other. And um, we start to uh, walk like him and talk like him and think like him. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. It says that right before in the same context of calling us to repentance and to confessing sin so that our thoughts and ways would be increasingly more like God's. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God... uh, rest upon us and saves us through Jesus Christ, we become lovely and loving people. But notice that in, in, even though, you know, it's part of our new nature now, having been saved, um, it's not automatic. You know, uh, it's the nature of a fish to swim. It's the nature of a a lion to roar. It's the nature of a dog to bark. It's just what they do. And as Christians who have been born again into the family of God, love is just what we do. But it's something that we still have to be called on the carpet about on a daily basis. We're called to love. We're called to love. And um, and notice what it says. It says, beloved, let us love. Let us is a a cohortive um, Stem. It means that together we need one another to walk in love. You notice the, the, the subtle message that's given in, back in Genesis uh, chapter 2, where it says of, um, in Genesis 2.15, it says, uh, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to keep it, and the Lord said, uh, commanded the man, you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then right then, after that, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, it's not simply God's preparation for a marriage partner, but it comes in the context of God calling Adam to a particular way of life. And it's saying, in light of that way of life, it's not good for you to be alone. That we need one another. We need a community of faithfulness and a community of faith to walk in love. It's just impossible to walk in a loving way by yourself. You and I need one another to love one another. We need those reminders, just like John is giving his hearers in this very letter. He's calling them and reminding them how much they're loved by God. And that's the foundation, is it not? of our love for one another, is that we have been loved by God. We've been born of God. We know God. The more you hang out with God, the more you spend time meditating on His Word and feeding on what He has said, you become more loving as a person. Because as you read Scripture, it dawns on you again. It washes over you afresh. It weighs on you greatly. God loves me. He really, really loves me. He will never stop loving me. Promises like given to Jeremiah that I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know, um, one time someone wrote a song, Hearts Go Astray, Even As They Go. And uh, he said, here I stand with my everlasting love. And just before that, he talked about in the song how he went astray and stopped loving. But here he stands with his everlasting love. You know, it's kind of an oxymoron, is it not? Remember Jackie Wilson, he said, um, your love has lifted me higher, right, than I've ever been lifted before, right? So keep it up. Quench my desire, and I'll be at your side forevermore. Well, that's not unconditional love. That's not the love that's being talked about here. That love is if you keep up your part of the bargain, I'll keep up my part of the bargain. Now, if God did that to us, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? (laughs) But God loves us when we were unlovely, when we have no redeeming quality. He loved us when we were enemies, when we were ungodly. And love is the litmus test, is it not? Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love is the litmus test. In verse 8 it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's his very nature to love. God is holy and God is love. God's a lot of other things, but the emphasis here is that God is love. And you cannot really know God at all if you don't love. And it's not a works righteousness thing, it's just a way of It's an observation. It's saying that that someone who doesn't love, they simply don't know God. Because if you've ever encountered the living God, if you've ever met God through Jesus Christ, the only way to come, come to meet him, if you've ever really met him at the foot of the cross, it does something to you. It changes who you are. It changes your attitude. It makes you patient. It makes you kind. It keeps you from being rude. It keeps you from boasting and vaunting yourself forward. 
It, it makes you a type of person who's willing to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things. It keeps you from insisting on your own way. It keeps you from rejoicing in what's wicked and it leads you to rejoice in what's true. Being encountered by the love of God and Jesus Christ changes you. It changes who you are. And so John calls us to this life of love. He tells us that we need one another, to love one another. Uh, we need daily reminders of how we've been loved by God. We've got to make it a priority above all things every day. Why did I wake up today? I woke up today to know that I've been loved by God and to love every single person I come in contact with. And if I endeavor to do that by the power of the Spirit of God, if that's my objective, if that's the, in, in a compass, you know, it always pulls north. If that's the compass in my life is that I will, you know, I get off track sometimes. We all do. Sometimes a lot of time. But that's got to keep on pulling us back to love. And when, we, when, we, when we've lived our lives that way, when we live each day that way, and when we endeavor to live that way, by the power of the Spirit, there's no other way to do it apart from the power of the Spirit. You know, the Bible says in John 16, 14, that the Spirit comes not to bear witness about Himself. What does the Spirit come to bear witness about? He comes to bear witness and to glorify Jesus Christ. He comes to remind us of how we have been loved in Jesus Christ. You want to see what it's like to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be filled with Jesus. That's what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. Um, and so when, 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 we, when, we've, when we live a day that way, that's when we can put our head on the pillow at night and say, it's been a good day. It might have been really rough. We might have had to do some, a lot of awkward things like doing things, loving things, when our heart was not really in it. But we knew that's the only way to get our heart in it is to get our, our members in it. Isn't that what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 19? It says that um, the only way to, to really get motivated to do the right thing is to do the right thing with our mind in the right place. It says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You know, Jesus said in John 14, 15 that a slave does not know what his master is doing. He just does what he's told. Paul said, I beat my body, I make it my slave. It's not necessarily cooperating me at, with the moment. But, I, but I, I compel myself to do things I know that are right because in my mind, the Spirit has told me they're right. The Scripture has told me they're right. And because of that agreement between the Scripture and the Spirit, you just you move your members in the right direction, whether they feel like it or not. And in the process of doing that, the feelings begin to appear. Isn't that what God told Cain? He said, Cain, if you do the right thing, your face will be lifted up. Cain was depressed because he did the wrong thing. You ever drive down the street going 80 miles an hour and then you see blue and red lights? Your feelings change at that point, don't they? It's an interesting phenomenon. Your feelings change. But if you did the right thing, your feelings would be different, wouldn't they? 
And that's what God tells Cain. He said, if you, if you did the right thing, he said, I'm giving you another opportunity, Cain. If you go and do the, do the sacrifice again, and your countenance will be lifted up, you'll have joy for having offered yourself the right way. That's the same thing when it comes to love. You know, when you have a child, uh, as many of you have had, or as you have cared for a child, as many of you, prob as probably all of you may have done, um, the child is young. The child is one year old, two months old, one month old, one day old. The child has no ability to take care of himself. You just start loving the child. That's what happens. You just love the child. You do for the child. The child spits on you, poops on you, pees on you, does all kinds of things, bites you, strange things, you know, and you still love the child. You don't beat the child at that point. You know it's a child. And then when the child is someone... Someone used this illustration one time. As a child grows up, 20 years old, may have no redeeming quality, but you love the child because you've been loving the child and your heart is now all wrapped up in loving the child. It's the same thing with us and, and it doesn't sometimes work that way as we grow up. You deal with adults and people who are grown. You should know better. I'm not going to love you. You're a dingbat. You should know better. Get your act together. Then we'll talk about love. But that's the wrong way to go about it. We're supposed to love people, whether they're lovely or not. And the more you invest in loving them, the more your heart gets engaged. Your motives are there now. The feeling, you know, the thrill is gone sometimes. Well, you, know, you, know, you need to go find your thrill again. You don't need to go to Blueberry Hill. You need to go to the Bible. You need to trust and offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to one another in love. Love is the litmus test. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's just the nature of God. In this is love. Our daily pattern is love. In this is love. Um, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You know, he got, you know this is great sacrifice of God. He only has one Son in some sense, you know, when you go to heaven, Jesus, God only has one picture on his wall. It's of Jesus. That's an illustration. God does not have pictures on his wall. Um, come on, folks. Um, but the point is that God sent his one and only son. You know, if God had 20 sons in heaven and said, okay, I'll give up one. I got 19 more. It's no big sacrifice. But God gave his one and only son. And the point is to emphasize the preciousness of Jesus Christ the value, the worth of Jesus Christ. There's no one like Jesus Christ. He's unique. There's no one anywhere like Him. And God gave Him up for us. He gave His only Son and, and so that we might live through Him. And the sense is that we might live a life of love through Him. When God created us in His image, He says, let us make man in our image, meaning mankind, meaning man and woman. Um, part of that image is that God created us male and female. He created us for a community. He created us in community. The, the Trinity is a community of love. And what it means to be an image of God means to be in a community of love. And it means to bring that community of love wherever you go. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in communion right now with the, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a walking community all by yourself. Wherever you set your foot, that love of God is to be reflected 
in our lives. God sent His only Son that we might live a life of love through Him. That's the goal, that we would live a life of love through Him. And He is the pattern. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The cross of Jesus Christ becomes the pattern of how we love one another. And it's interesting to note here, uh, as the emphasis, uh, in this is love. Not that we have loved God. We did not love God. We hated God. We despised God. Some people may say, well, I was a pretty nice guy. I don't think I really hated God. Well, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Any breaking of the commandments is hatred to God. You can't have it, we can't have it, one both ways. When we disobey, it's a sign of hatred, period. That's what it is. Even when Christians disobey, it is a sign of hatred, still rooted in our system. So much so that we need, as it says in chapter 2, an advocate with the Father. Even a believer needs someone to defend them when they sin against God. In this is love, not that we have loved God. And this brings out the gracious quality of love. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath-absorbing Savior. That's what propitiation means, that Jesus took the spanking. Jesus took the licking so you could keep ticking. I just thought of that. That's a little bit strange, but... um, Jesus was punished. He took the wrath of God. He took the punishment for our sins. He took the blame. He took the shame. So that we might go free. And then it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so sometimes what that means is that you've been wronged, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe on your job, maybe just with someone you don't know. And um, you're, you're not the one at fault. They are. But you are willing to come to that person and confess sin and take blame where there was no blame for you to take. You know, sometimes in a marriage relationship, uh, things happen, you know, they get heated. And I'm not talking about what you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about people get mad. You get in an argument, and you say, how dare she, how dare he think or say something like that? How could they overlook me that way? They know better. They know me. You know you don't put the dishes in the pot pot that way. What's wrong with you? It's little stuff like that, isn't it? That can build up, and then mushroom, and then one day it all comes out like a fire hose. I wish I could get a witness up in here. (laughs) But sometimes it's that way. And you can sulk. You can get mad. You can get bitter. I'm not going to apologize. Today, apologize. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Today, say I'm sorry. And you can get mad. You can go to sleep that way. And you can wake up even angrier. And you get separated, distant from one another. Instead of saying, you know, I'm going to love, 
whether they hurt me or not, it doesn't make a difference. I'm going to show love. And that's where you really know what love is. It's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to love people who are floating your boat all the time. But when people really do you wrong and really mess with you and really mess with your life and mess with your mind, and you say, I'm going to love them anyway, in spite of all of that, that's real love. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and took all the blame for our sin, it didn't feel like a lovely afternoon in the sun. It felt like death, and it was death. But that was the greatest demonstration of love we've ever seen on the face of the planet. That's what love is. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that becomes the pattern of what it means to really love people. And so it doesn't make a difference how people treat us or how people may walk on us or how people may talk about us. There's a determination. There's a priority. I will love them. I will love them in their sin. I will love them. Because the kindness of God leads people to repent. It's the kindness of God that led us to repent. It's the kindness of God that will lead other people to repent. Kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And God endeavors for that fruit of the Spirit to come to be filled in your life and to flow from your life and to impact people who are unkind to you, mistreating you, abusing you even. And that kindness, let it wash over them. And let it lead them, give reason to them to turn away from sin. No one has ever seen God. Our daily purpose is love. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. God is invisible. You cannot see Him. No one has ever seen Him. And, you know, there's passages in the Old Testament that say they saw God. And, uh, but, but part of that seeing God is, is perceiving God. When it says in John chapter 1, verse 18, no man has ever seen God except the one who's in the bosom of God. He has literally exegeted him. He's explained God to us. And so seeing is not simply only physical seeing, it's also perception. And so no one has ever seen God physically because he's invisible. He's able to put himself in a form, but to see his fullness and essence, no one has ever seen that except in the person of Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but we, but God's love is perfected in us, and we know that God abides in us when we love. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving one another, it's easy to criticize each other. It's easy to grumble. It's easy to murmur within the body of Christ. It's easy to think ill of each other. It's easy to go there. That's almost automatic, unfortunately. But the Bible teaches us that when when God abides in us, His love is perfected in us. And the end result of that is that people would see God's love in our lives. That's when people get the wake-up call. You know, it's very easy to look out into the world and blame people, and look out into the world and blame politicians, and blame everything else under the sun, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, what have I done? What's my part in this mess? How am I repenting daily? How am I loving others daily? And the thing that's going to, to capture our hearts 
is, is what we conclude on. The thing that's going to capture our hearts is what we, what we see in, in verse 10 and what we see throughout this letter is that Jesus Christ loved us when we were unlovely, wretched, sinful, rebellious, perverted, ungodly. Jesus died on a cross, took all of that ungodliness, all of that perversion, all of that sin, and said, I will pay for this. I will pay for this. I will be punished for this. Let them go free. Just set them free. And, and the more that dawns on us, the more that washes over us, the more that is allowed to move our hearts, it moves us to love one another. It moves us to love each other and to look beyond people's faults and look right at their sins sometime and get that glimpse of, yeah, that's me. I'm the same exact way, but Jesus loves me. And because he loves me, I'm going to love them and respond in love always. The priority is love. And the, the pattern of that love is Jesus himself, who died on the cross. We, we come to this table to celebrate that very pattern of love. This table announces, this table proclaims loudly and clearly that Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for lawless people. He died for rebels. He died for perverts. He died for me. He died for you. That's what this table announces in glad celebratory terms. That we eat and drink. I'll drink to that. Won't you? Won't you eat to that? We talk about giving a toast sometimes. There's nothing more to be a toasted than Jesus Christ's blood. I'll drink to that. He died for me. He died for you to set us free. To give us a brand new life. A life of love. May God help us to make it the priority on a daily basis. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we, we come and we're, we're weak people. We, we so often fail to keep our eyes fixated on how you have loved us with an everlasting love. Oftentimes, Lord, we, we project on you what we feel. So we wake up and we feel rotten. So we think that you're rotten. And instead, Lord, help us to look beyond what we feel and what we see in our circumstances and to know that in Scripture you have told us that you are love and you love us and you will never stop loving us and your love is infinite. And God, give us grace by your Spirit to rest in that reality daily and then to be drawn out of our selfishness and to selflessness and self-forgetfulness and, and to say, I'm going to love whoever I run into in this world. God, give us grace to love that way with Jesus on our minds all the time. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Let's confess uh, our sins together.